continuing on in this letter from John to the churches that he served, this letter that circulated. And as we have gone through this letter, we see that it's there's several different ways of, of looking and reading through this letter. We've talked about how there's this re- repetition element in this that learning to follow Christ is kind of like learning to swing a baseball bat. Uh, you have to do it at least 10,000 times before you even begin to get the hang of it. And so repetition matters. Uh, we've looked at the metaphor of a, of a boxer and how uh, John is just kind of hitting us with God and love and God and love and God and love again and again and again, uh, trying to get inside of us. That this letter is not just about um, somebody giving us a little bit of information, we take that little box of information and we just move along with our lives. The Bible is not simply about getting the information. If it was, this letter would be about three sentences long. But like most things in life, it's not about information, it's about transformation. If you read the Bible and all you get is information, well then you're at, at best a Pharisee. At worst, you're something else. But if in reading the scriptures, transformation happens, somewhere in the midst of immersing ourselves in this story, we come into some kind of contact or relationship with the living God, then transformation is beginning to happen. You cannot be in the presence of God without being transformed. If you remain in God's presence, or in the words here, abide in God's presence, God's presence will change you. And the way that we come into God's presence, the proper uh, posture of being in front of God is the posture of worship, the posture of giving ourselves over to Him, the posture of laying our lives down. And when we do that, God gives us his life. We let go of our lives. He gives us his life. And in the midst of that, we are being transformed. A theological word for that is we're being sanctified or we're being made holy. We're being made like God. And so 1 John talks about, John talks about in this letter that I'm writing to you so that you will not sin, that you will learn to be a people who learn how to resist temptation, who learn how to not do sin. You do not have to sin is what he is saying. You can live a life where instead of sinning, you can choose God's love because of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out into our hearts. This is a great Easter season kind of a letter to write or to read and to dwell upon. Uh, We've looked in parts of this uh, letter where we're called to be a people of the light. We're called to stand in light, not in darkness, not hiding in the shadows, but to be fully who we are, to be fully present, to be fully ourselves before God and therefore in the midst of this world. We are called and equipped to be a people who purify ourselves as He is pure. That we confess our sins. We confess our shortcomings. We confess the places in our heart that are not right. And as we confess that, we are purifying ourselves. And the Lord is replacing that confession with His righteousness. That is purification. That is transformation. We are called to, to keep the, the valve of God's love open 
like a, a water hose that, where it's hooked up at the faucet. You, you want to keep that flow on so that the love of God can be poured out into our hearts. And then on the other end, you want to make sure the valve is open on the other end that, that we're loving others, that as we receive from God, we are loving others. And that's the flow of love, the flow of grace. And in the midst of that, we love one another, and that love is reciprocated to us as well. And then finally, we have focused upon how God's love is necessarily connected to God's holiness. God's holiness is kind of like God's transcendence. It's His otherness. It's the God who was outside of our creation. He created this world. God isn't just a part of creation. He's not just one of us. God is outside of it all. So we have, as creation, an external reference, something outside of ourselves to refer to that gives us our scope and our direction and everything in life. We're not just fully contained within ourselves, tumbling through the universe, but that there is a God outside of us and He is transcendent, He is good, He is holy. And real love is a love that is connected to that holiness. It's a love that is connected to the very character of God. God is both transcendent and imminent. He is both up there, but He is also right here with us. It is a both and. And if you lose one or the other, you lose who God is. If you lose one or the other, you lose your very purpose in existing. We need a transcendent God. We need a God who is bigger than us. We need the God who made the heavens and the earth. We need a God to whom we confess our sins to. The one to whom we say, Lord, I have fallen short of your glory. We have to have that God. We also need a God who is not just distant and transcendent, but a God who is close. A God who sent his son into this world to give his life on a cross for our sins. We also need a God who didn't just come 2,000 years ago, but then poured out his very spirit that was made to inhabit the human heart. The very spirit of God in us, as Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of the living God. And so we have the whole range. We have the God of the universe who's bigger and higher and outside of everything, and yet we have the most intimate God who is inside of us and knows more about us than we know about ourselves. Both of those can be a little scary, can't they? This is the God that we have come to worship today. And so that's where we land here uh, in the final chapter of John, chapter 5 here, where he continues kind of hammering away at some of these same themes. But there's one phrase in here that's new. There's a phrase in here that, that sticks out that he really hasn't touched on before. He said love, you know, 47,000 times, right? He has said, uh, God is love a lot. But then he says one more thing. And that's in verse 3. It says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. He said that several times. But here's the new piece. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Do you believe that? 
I think most people don't. I think most church people don't. I wonder if most pastors don't. Are God's commandments burdensome or are they not? Is the reason why so many people run away from God is because we think that, that following God's commandments is a burdensome way of life. Or maybe we just want to get inside the line. We just want to say, Lord Jesus, uh, would you just forgive me of my sins? But please don't make me do anything. I'm just going to stay over here in the corner and pretend that, that I just barely got in the gate. That's called, I don't really believe in the goodness of God. And it's called, I don't believe that his commandments are good for me. I think they're a burden. And it's the lie. And it's not just the lie that faith, unfaithful unbelieving people of the world believe it's the lie that exists right here in the church of Jesus Christ we don't believe his commandments are good so we go and live whatever life we want to live we live my convenient life we do what we want to do we spend our money how we want to spend it we we put our schedule on our calendar the way that we think we should do it we try to achieve life the way we want it we do self-actualization thinking that self is the top of the pinnacle we live for ourselves because we do, do not deeply believe that the commandments of god are good we think they're a burden And we've been thinking that ever since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve did not want to obey the commandment of God in the garden. And they took that fruit for themselves. They were deceived. Do you believe that the commandments of God are burdensome or not? John is pounding away. Love, 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 love. And then this. If God's commandments are burdensome, then we are just slaves. If God's commandments are burdensome, then you're just here to get a spiritual merit badge. If God's burdens, if God's commandments are burdensome, then you are fully justified in doing everything to get your little rear end into heaven, but not have to submit any other part of your life to God. The Word of God says, it's right here. You can look it up in your own Bible. His commandments are not burdensome. Hmm. How is that? Because if we could get to the place where we bought into that, that might change everything in our lives. That might change how we live our lives. It may change what we think about. It may change what's driving us in the world. Well, let's start to crack that a little bit. One of the ways and reasons that God's commandments are not burdensome is because everything God commands us to do, He commands us to do in love. There is nothing God will ever tell you to do that is not in love. He never just does random. He never just says, hey, you should do this just to do it. Everything that we're called to do is called to be done in love. Not just because you're supposed to do it. Not simply because it's just the right thing to do. 
but because that is exactly who God has designed us to be. Woven into the fabric of who you have been created to be and woven into the fabric of the new creation of the person who has been born of God, we were made to love. Loving has a lot of forms. It's it's easy to think of of love in the context of nurture, in the context of, of, you know, you think of Mother's Day, holding and loving and nurturing and and coddling. That's a form of love. But love has other forms as well. Sometimes love is serving another person. It, it, It may not be nurturing, but it might be serving. Serving a neighbor, serving a stranger, serving one another. But love can even go beyond that. Even the way that we confront other people can be done in love. Even the way we confront strangers can be done in love. The way we confront each other, the way we confront our kids, the way we... You you see where I'm going with this. Everything that can be done can be done in love. God will never call you to do something that's not in love. He's not going to say, okay, I know I want you to love people most of the time, but I got this one exception here. I need you to go do something over here. No, everything is done in love. And when it is done in love, it's not burdensome. We can even love our enemies. You know, Jesus loved and still loves And he even loved his enemies. But does that mean that he was nice all the time? If you read the Bible, you'll see pretty quickly, Jesus wasn't always nice, but he was always loving. Even when he challenged and confronted, it was out of love. And when he challenges and confronts me and you, it's because of his love for you. His love, His commandments are not burdensome. Second of all, His commandments are not burdensome because we love to the degree that we know we are already loved. God is not requiring us to give something that we do not have. He is not trying to beat something out of us. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, where the son who kind of thought he had earned everything came came back and the younger son had gone away and wasted his life away and the the father had welcomed him back home, was throwing a party because he loved his son so much, even though he screwed everything up. And the older son comes back and he says, All these years, I've been working like a slave for you. That's a burden mentality. I've been working like a slave. Are you working like a slave? Or are you living in God's love? The real sin of the older son is that he never received his father's love. Instead of receiving his father's love, he worked his tail off to try to earn good standing. That's the sin of the older son. And it might be our sin too. When we are simply living our lives trying to be good people 
trying to earn our way in, and that's it. We can only love to the degree that we know we are loved. Like that, that hose, that, that water faucet, the, the love has to be poured in. Love has to be poured into us first. You cannot love somebody if you have never been loved. The only people who have capacity to love are people that have been loved by someone else. You take somebody who's never been loved, they have no ability to love anybody else. You see this played out in society all the time. What transforms the human heart? When someone realizes not just the bigness of God, not just the righteousness of God, but the love of God. That's what changes people. That's really our primary reason for worship. I love the fact that we have a table here and we have the scriptures which represent God's word. We have the bread and the juice represents the body and blood of Christ. These are great symbolic elements right here in the middle of what we do. As I have to look at them out of the peripheral vision when I'm preaching, they just remind me, kind of hold me accountable to what I'm saying. But I think if there's one thing we do in this context of worshiping, it's we are coming to get love inside of us. If you don't have any more love when you leave this room inside your heart than when you did when you came in, then, then either we have failed you or you have not opened your heart. Something's gone wrong. The goal here, it's like going back to the well and getting more water and then taking that water wherever it needs to go. And, and you don't have to wait to, to, for Sunday morning to do that. You can do this in your prayer closet at your house. In fact, you should be. We should all be going and making room for those places in our lives where we allow God to love on us. The more we understand that God truly loves us, the greater capacity we therefore have to do this thing that is not burdensome, following His commands in love. Jesus said to that woman at the well in John chapter 4, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in that person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is a well you can always go to, and it will never run out. It's not like the... Uh, body of water that we're standing on top of right now called the Ogallala Aquifer. My, I grew up three hours north of here. Um, my father is a farmer and a rancher, and um, I did a little bit of pipe moving as a kid. Not enough to, like, want to farm or anything, uh, but, well, maybe I did enough to not want to farm. I don't know how that works. Anyway, um, but I, I remember talking to my dad about the the old days when they first put the, the wells into the ground up in Hansford County. And when the water would come out of the pipe, the 8-inch the pipe, the water would be all the way to the top. And just water would go everywhere. And now we realize, okay, um, that lake underneath us is going down. And there's a limited supply in that well. Well, the Love of God is not like the Ogallala Aquifer. The love of God is a spring that will never run out. You're going to an eternal source here. Now, 
love has an unending source. And that is reason number two why His commandments are not burdensome. Love is also not easy. Something can be hard and still not burdensome. Just because it's, it's not burdensome doesn't mean it's a, a cakewalk. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Think about the people you love the most. The people you love the most are the people you're willing to do the most for. When you really love somebody, you will give all kinds of time and energy. You will sweat. You'll give up all kinds of comfort. You'll do sleepless nights. You will exhaust yourself for someone that you truly do love. That's why Mother's Day is worth celebrating, right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But that's not a burden. Self-giving love is not the same as burdensome following of commands. Next, love is a force. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. The universe is not a self-contained closed unit. A good theology of God as the creator means that we have a God who is outside of the universe. And however he did it and however long it took him to do it, it doesn't really matter to me. But God is outside of the universe that he created. So the universe is not this self-contained thing. There's something outside of it that can infuse life into it. Physicists will say that our universe will someday just kind of disintegrate. It'll run out of energy. It'll run out of light. It'll run out of gas, if you will. And everything will just kind of darken and fade away. But that assumes a closed universe. And the God that you have come to worship today transcends even the laws of physics. So a physicist who are always smarter than me, a physicist can't pick up on those things because a physicist can only measure what is there and what uh, can be seen and what is in the world that we live in. But there is a part of God that cannot be measured, which means the God who made the world and who is also outside the world can fuse his love into the world. Love is a force. God, who is transcendent and outside the system, has come into the system. And He's come into our little bitty world in the form of Jesus Christ. The very love of God put on display. We see that in the cross. We see that in His life. We see that in His actions. But here's the most amazing and the best gospel news is that the God of love just happens to be the God of power. Love isn't this weak thing over here on the side while power is over here. No, love and power come together in Jesus Christ. The death of Christ is the love of God for the world. 
The resurrection is the power of God for the world. Love and power go together. That means that love wins. Love is victorious. There is no greater force and there is no power in hell that will ever stop the forces of love. God's commandments are not burdensome. All this, according to John chapter 5, is the stuff of faith. This is the victory that we have that overcomes the world. Our faith. Faith is when we understand and see the things that God has done. God has revealed them. And when He grants us faith, we begin to see them. But faith only really happens when we're willing to worship. Faith only really happens when we're willing to lay down our way of trying to see the world or make the world what we want it to be. Faith overcomes the world. A world that, instead of loving others, uses others. How much in our world are people not really loving others? They're just using others. People even using each other for self-gratification, to get along in society, to make it another day. That's not love. That's just survival. We live in a world that takes more than it gives. Chapter 2 of 1 John, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. By faith we overcome the ways of the world. Faith means that the God of love is the God of victory. God's commandments are not burdensome because God Himself who made you gave you the capacity to love in your family, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, in our church, in your business. But having the capacity to love is not enough. He has also given us everything He needs. He has poured His love into our hearts if we're willing to receive. If we're willing to follow Him and give ourselves to Him. Are His commandments burdensome? Maybe that's a lie that needs to be shaken. Maybe we need to step away from that and in faith step toward Jesus. Maybe we can learn to embrace His commandments. Maybe the commandments of God is the very best thing that you can do because it's exactly who God made you to be and do. So consider your world. Consider your relationships. Consider your relationship with God. 
Consider the fact that God not only loves you, but that God has a desire for you to do His will, to follow Him. And that just as God in the form of Jesus came and gave His life for us, He calls us to give our life to Him in loving others. May we learn to be those people who are not slaves, bearing the burdens of God. May we be sons and daughters living in the joy of His great love.